are listening to Tech Reads, interviews with emerging technology thought leaders. Our sponsor is SoftTech, the premier technology trade association that has been serving Northern Santa Barbara and San Luis Obispo County since 1997. Our mission is to create soft tech moments where people connect, explore ideas, and create new business opportunities. Learn more at softec.org. Thank you, everyone, for attending this month's Tech Reads. I'm very excited to introduce Craig Copeland, joining us from Southern California. And before we do that, um, I also just want to give a shout out to our soft tech sponsors. Uh, be sure to visit our website, softec.org, to learn more about soft tech. We are a networking uh, technology nonprofit here in San Luis Obispo, but we cover all the way down to Santa Barbara, all the way up to Paso Robles along the 101 corridor. Um, we've got about 1,500 members currently and growing, and we hope uh, you can attend more of our uh, live events. So this is the Tech Reads podcast, which we do monthly, and I bring in an author to talk about a book that they've written, uh, a thought leader. Um, it can be loosely related to technology. It's really about helping you improve your life, uh, your business, and learning some, getting some new perspectives. So a little bit about Craig, I'll have him maybe share a little bit more, but he's the author of the book Disruptors, The Gateway to Genius Level Thinking. He's on a, he's been on a 20-year mission to discover how to live, a, live beyond fear, pat, get past overwhelm, and any self-imposed limitations. I'd say personal transformation is his jam. He's a consultant and a teacher. He's got a background uh, from USC and UCLA. He's a Toastmaster, he's a meditator, he's a yogi. I'm all into that as well. I'm very uh, excited to hear his perspective. He's certainly going deep and further into unraveling the human condition with much deeper topics like shamanism, Buddhism, and more from what I read on his bio. Uh, and I kind of but bunched that all into the mindfulness genre, which is a little bit more mainstream. Uh, his new book, Disruptors, aims to guide the reader into a, a deeper dive into how to tune into their own self-knowledge and inner intuition. In doing so, unlock their own genius level thinking. So thank, thank you to all of those of you who are attending the event live today. You'll all receive a complimentary review copy of Craig's book. And I'll include the URL to fill out the form if you uh, join us late. But with that, I will hand it over to Craig. Thank you. Thank you, Brian, for having me. Bob, okay. thank you for approaching me. Appreciate it. Um, this has been something that has been, uh, on my mind for the last 20 years, but I had always been trying to figure out what it was I wanted to understand and what it was that was important in this whole mix. Um, so basically a little back background, I was a top personal assistant for 16 years for, uh, some high-level entrepreneurs, people in the entertainment industry, people uh, who were uh, private entrepreneurs, people who were heads of major companies. And I noticed, I began to notice back about 20 years ago that they all had different ways to approach what they called their success or their goal. And I wanted to figure out what that is. But interestingly enough, along the way, two things happened. Um, one was that I noticed that they all had similar attributes, even though their uh, fields were different and their backgrounds were different and their methodologies were different. They kept displaying certain attributes, but what threw me for the longest time, why this research took me over 14 years, is that um, I didn't just want this to be about uh, being the biggest success in business. I wanted this to be something that anyone at any level for any reason could access. And it threw me into a different curve. I started looking at people who weren't necessarily successful, 
but their ideas, their concepts, their uh, forward thinking really impacted how we think, how we live, and how we act. And these are things that were basically, they go all the way back to uh, the earth being round as opposed to flat, uh, the earth being uh, sun-centric as opposed to earth-centric, gasoline, automobiles, airplanes, electricity, electromagnetism, everything these people went after, I wanted to explore and figure out what their motivation was and what the formula was that they all kind of shared. So that's where this comes from. Excellent. So um, maybe just clarify, how do you define disruptor? Sure. So a disruptor, basically the most simple way to define this is a disruption is something that changes the way we think we act, and we live. And the second part of that, which separates, really separates it from innovation, is that a disruption didn't exist prior to uh, its conception. Okay. So that's a pretty broad topic. Yeah. We didn't have gasoline before. We were fine with kerosene. We were fine with uh, other sources of light and uh, um, uh, other sources of fuel and then gasoline came along and even initially they didn't know what to do with it but here was this thing that didn't exist before all right um i had a couple questions i was uh jotting down you know before people i guess the, the path to becoming a disruptor um and it kind of is counter to what our culture teaches us at, from a young age, you know, we're, we're told not to step out of line. We're told not to outshine others. You know, how do you get beyond that hard wiring that we have from a very young age and told not to, to be a disruptor? Cause it's really seen as a negative way of being. It is. It is. And this is this is where the contention lies. Uh, When we're young and we're learning, we're absorbing the world, we're um, exploring, investigating, figure out, figuring out our place and everything. Uh, We we are more of a intuitive mindset. So intuition would be exploration, creativity, discovery. Uh, trying to connect things, seeing how they work, uh, exploring, touching things, uh, figuring them out, asking tons and tons of questions. Uh, Somewhere along the line, both in school and in most homes, uh, that's curtailed pretty fast because one, people want their kids to be obedient. And two, in school, that type of divergency doesn't really apply. Because if you're asking all these questions and looking for multiple choices, you're not getting the one answer that takes you to the next grade level. Okay. The testing, to pass the tests. Right. Exactly. That's the the fine. And and I guess one of the common threads is a lot of these disruptors actually pull themselves out of those institutions, right? I mean, that's the famous Bill Gates and, um, you know, all these uh, Steve Jobs, you know, Although there's questions about whether or not that's really the right path for people, but, you know, they dropped out and maybe it was the reality is that they were seen as disruptors. And I think if you read their biographies, they probably were, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's not necessary. And I talk about this a little bit. It's not necessary to drop out of school to be a disruptor because there are um, Richard Feynman who's a physicist, and he is definitely someone who's disruptive in his field. Um, He went to school. He was fine. Uh, A lot of people who have degrees can be disruptors. Uh, It's not a criteria to quit school. I think the criteria really comes down to the two different mindsets, or what I call the two different mindsets, the rational thinker, 
who is looking for an end goal and the intuitive thinker who doesn't necessarily know what the end goal is, but they have an interest, uh, what I call pulling at a thread that they want to pursue. I like that. And um, Craig, I, I have a question if I can jump in for a second. Thanks, Doug. Hey, Bob, thanks. Uh, in your book, you list eight different uh, disruptive uh, attributes. And yes. in each chapter, you go through and you itemize people that this <laughs> reflects to. And they're all the big brand names, the Steve Jobs, the Bill Gates, the Elon Musk, all names that any of us would recognize right off of the top. And, and so the book kind of makes me think that there's a connection between that disruptive attribute and that person. But that person's results are different and I guess that's what I what I didn't see in the book is is how are how are they different? Because I can tell you you know fifteen different examples of each one of the classifications you have of people that have that attribute that aren't the disruptor that the examples are. And I, right. I'd like you to talk a little bit about that. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> two things. Um, one, the attributes of a disruptor, strangely enough, are the same attributes that children between the ages of one and 10 really exhibit. They naturally have these intuitive inclinations about how they perceive the world, how they go after curiosity and questions. And the interesting thing about this, there was a... Um, uh, proclivity test back in the 1960s. So NASA wanted to figure out how to find and hire the best scientists and engineers that they could find. And so they approached uh, two doctors, Dr. John Land and uh, Dr. Beth Jarman to come up with a test where they could uh, figure out how to verify that someone was a correct fit for what they needed at NASA. Well, they did this test. It was very successful. They found some really um, high-level engineers, high-level scientists that they hired for NASA. But there was an issue because they started to realize that this test was so simplistic in its nature that they began to question the test. So they decided to branch out and try this test on other people. And they took 1,600 adults and 2,000 children to test this, uh, to give this test to. Uh, they started with the children at age of five. And the children outperformed the adults on the scale of creative genius. And they decided to give a longitudinal extension to this test by testing these children five years later. Five years later, those same group of children, the 2,000 children, dropped that creative intelligence by 30%. And then following that, five years after, uh, there were only about 12% remaining. And what they found is that this unusually high creative intelligence was taught out of them. So the school systems kind of dumbed them down. Uh, when you reference the people that are just, we feel are the natural uh, disruptors, like the Elon Musk, the Bezos, the Bransons, everyone you mentioned, there are so many others throughout history who we don't know about um, uh, Mac Robinson, who came in second in the 1936 Olympics, uh, he was definitely a disruptor because he set the platform for high performance in his field. Uh, there are so many other, I have a list on my wall of people um, who just think in a different way, the McDonald brothers. Their concept of bringing something new to uh, an existing platform of how food was uh, prepared and sold, they changed the concept, they disrupted, we, we followed their process ever since. 
Now, I know that uh, what's his name who took over McDonald's didn't do the greatest job Great with Croc. it. Yes. Uh, Croc, thank you. But um, their initial concept was disruptive. It changed the game. It changed how we thought about drive-ins, changed about how we thought about food, fast food, everything like that. Uh, Sir Conan Doyle, Julia Child, uh, Jesse Owen, Sammy Davis Jr., people on their different levels disrupt in their own unique way, and they set a new standard or a new direction. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is, is as you look at disruption and if, if your purpose is to be disruptive in your field, uh, you want to look at it and say, you know, well, what's different about disruptors? Because when I look at this, almost everybody I know has some of these some of these attributes. Okay. And so I, I'm looking for what's the exception, not what's ah. the rule, because this, this is good research of, of, of the different areas and the different types and styles of that process but it really doesn't help me in understanding if i wish to disrupt an area Mm -hmm. what what's that look like okay and and that's what i was trying to get out of the out of the book and so i read attribute after attribute after attribute i looked at it and said yeah those six people plus 50 others that i know those six people plus 50 other people i know that's that's where i found myself looking at it and saying okay so what does all this mean and so i guess i'd ask that question is is, okay i think a lot of people wish to disrupt their industries okay but the question is how do you how do you get better your question um there's there's two two dynamics at work here especially in the business area the primary dynamic that we seem to default to is rational style of thinking. Now, rational, of course, includes critical analysis, logic, reasoning, objectivity, but everything in its essence in business specifically um, is more about innovating. And innovating in its essence, if you, if you simplify innovation, it's funneling down to the best uh, product that you can distill. Now, a product can be, of course, a, a service, a concept, an idea, or an, a thing. Uh, but the product is what companies look for in order to gain competitive advantage and to um, have, you know, uh, make their companies money. Where the disruption lies, however, is more on the intuitive side. And the thing about intuition is you don't know if your concept will come to fruition. You don't know what's going to happen, but you have an idea, a concept, something you're pursuing but it's not for a specific funneling down, it's more divergent. So you're going off in various areas. Uh, One of the examples I believe I used in the book was Hedy Lamarr, who created frequency hopping. Now, uh, most of us know that frequency hopping with all its uh, technical advantages is um, basically about a $30 billion industry. It has Bluetooth, it has Wi-Fi, it has telecommunications, it encompasses everything. Hedy Lamar wasn't looking for a specific monetary objective, nor was she looking to quantify a specific product. She was interested in figuring out what could be developed or what could happen with frequency hopping. And she also died broke (laughs) that was one thing and two her um her disruption didn't really happen until after she died so a disruption doesn't really always initially benefit a company um and companies do have to rely on innovations 
to uh, keep them going. I think a disruption is less about the company and more about the individual, if I could. Okay. Does that help answer that? It it does. And I I don't want anyone to think that I wasn't paying attention, but I knocked my (laughs) coffee cup over and and I was trying to get it out of my keyboard before it started typing for me. Bob, you got to be on the ball. Thank you, Bob, for for that question. Dylan, uh, do you have any questions for Craig? Yeah, I guess, Craig, I'll just ask a simple question, like um, just in a few points, what's some advice you can give for people that are looking to sort of shift from that rational mindset into a more intuitive uh, mindset or life form? Thanks, Dylan. Um, The two simplest answers, so I, I think disruption is about simplicity. I think intuitive thinking is about simplicity. The two answers I would give you is to really work on being more curious, asking more questions, and wonderment. Curiosity and wonderment seem to be the two biggest drivers for disruptive thinkers. Um, I I recently started creating another book that I'll be working on about the billionaire mindset because... I feel that this is really where billionaires reside. They think curiously, they ask a lot of questions, and there's wonderment, what could happen if this happens? And for billionaires, though, there's a a third component that once they have their idea, so in the billionaire mindset, they've already seen their idea as having come to fruition. They don't see it like a business where how do we get to that road? What's going to be involved? This and this and this. They just see it as happening and then work backwards. Uh, But to do that, they, and I I believe Bezos has done that with his blue, I forget what his rocket's called, the blue something. Um, Blue Origin? Yes, thank you. Um, Blue Origin. But how he did that is he already saw it existing. Then he reverse engineered to see what they needed to do to get to that point. And that took creativity, curiosity, and wonderment. Like what happens if we do this? What if this happens? It it was just more of a, a less of a sandbox and more of just divergent thinking. Where can we go? How many directions will this take us? What can we do? I love that. Blue sky thinking, right? Blue sky thinking. If if you think about it, uh, both Bezos and Elon Musk right now have taken what we used to have in the 40s and 50s when we saw those science fictions and science magazines that had pictures of spacemen and rockets landing on different various planets and taking off and then landing on another planet well we never thought early on how to re-land a rocket and reuse it (laughs) and now that's kind of starting to exist yeah Uh, blue origins doing that spacex is doing that so again i think dylan in a long-winded way, curiosity and wonderment are two fundamental things that I think all people can benefit from. Thank you. Sure. And we have Doug Garland with us. And Doug, you'll need to unmute yourself. But Doug is the author of The Tall Poppy Syndrome. And he and I were having a conversation yesterday. I'm very intimately familiar with the topic. It's somewhat new to, to a lot of people. But that this was a common thread that disruptors share. And I just wanted Doug to comment on that and maybe ask uh, Craig a question about it. But Doug, why don't you mention a little bit about TPS? Well, the tall poppy syndrome is a metaphor for seeing a disruptor, uh, somebody that's uh, changing a system. And you're absolutely right about schools. If you think about especially America, how on one end, we're really crazy good at business. But for the arts, for example, if you go to Mexico, you see little kids drawing on the street, everybody down there seems to be an artist. And we're all artists when we're in grade school. 
I was a better artist when I was in grade school than I am now. All that was driven out, out of us during our education and insecurities. Another point I'd like to make, which you mentioned earlier, was that um, you were studying the good habits or traits. And I studied how to be a tall poppy or how to become a tall poppy. And I read that Tolstoy said that all good families are the same and all bad families are the different are different. So I, I felt in my observations, kind of what you felt that the traits were all similar, very similar in the good people and bad people were all different in different ways. And another thing that a trait that you don't talk about, but I, I find when I look at many tall poppies is, is that they have a sociopathic trait and they are way more driven. There's a lot of people that have disruptive ideas, but to see them to fruition takes a, takes it to a different level. And sometimes, as they say, necessity is um, the driver. And and you talked about Standard Oil and the kerosene, and he was competing with Edison for lighting, street lighting. And Edison won, and the necessity for Standard became, what am I going to do with all this oil now? Which helped uh, then the evolution of the ice the internal combustion engine and lo and behold standard oil became bigger than they were when they were lighting all the streets in america so there it is a very diverse set of traits that that in the end is different than the common traits that we all attribute people to but on the other end uh, what brian and i have been working together on for some time now is is the negative traits and looking at what happens to people who have become successful and how hard it is to be uh, at the top and stay at the top without other people cutting you down. The Yeah, that's, that's key, um, Doug, because what I've heard from Craig thus far is that he's, he's pointing out some of the names that you and I came up with, I would call stone poppies, which are people who can't get cut down. They're too big to be cut down. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk. I mean, these people have achieved so much and have such a big following and so many defenders, you know, Richard Branson, they can get away with doing things that will not get them cut. And they're the exception, but the everyday tall poppy, which I think is the everyday disruptor, they are going to get shots as soon as they start to become better than their peers. And it's, it's sad because it's their own tribe that often will cut them down um, that's what we need. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think as a, as a disruptor, you need to be prepared and th- that's going to happen. The more you disrupt the, the normal stream of thinking. Well, I think uh, I'll butt back in on that. I mean, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Um, one of my disruptors in my book was Rachel Carlson and the woman that, um, led to the big environmental movement. And she wasn't a very strong person herself. In fact, most of my tall poppies were women and they all needed help. Helen Keller was a disruptor, but of course she needed a lot of help to move her agenda forward. But Rachel Carson, for example, with her beginning of the environmental movement, um, she actually took Uh, a lot of her book from a lawsuit all the dirty work had been done and she was intelligent enough to manipulate all that and kind of go at it as you described um, deconstructing it but you know she eventually as far as I'm concerned was killed by her own project because she had cancer and a lot of other issues and the stress um, that she was putting on American companies to change what they were doing uh, eventually help the cancer take over and kill her. So there's disruptors and there's disruptive thinking. And I think the personalities behind 
some of the people that do get to the top um, are able to withstand being cut down by their peers. And that's a key opponent many times to uh, somebody like Steve, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, who there was nobody going to get in the way of those gentlemen. So, Craig, please respond to that, what you were about to speak earlier. Well, I, I think societally these days, the distinction really is that we have become money chasers. You, you used all the disruptors, who, disruptors of today who are all uh, powerfully, monetarily powerful people. And I also I feel in that regard, and I had to look at that for the longest time. I feel in that regard that someone like Elon Musk would try and do whatever he could to make his ventures happen, whether he was in a financially good place or not. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, financing does help. Like he invested and almost lost millions of dollars into Tesla, millions of dollars into SpaceX. He, you know, there were times when he wasn't sure how it would turn out. Um, but and today with Twitter, right? That's potentially was a misstep. <laughs> but t- the Twitter thing, I will never understand. <laughs> I'm just going to kind of let that one go. Because <laughs> I, I, I understand some of the reasoning, but Here's an interesting point that you mentioned Twitter, and this is one of the fascinating things to me about disruptors. One, I think that uh, a lot of the disruptors throughout history that I've studied display a lot of the characteristics of Asperger's. They're very myopically focused. Their, Their attention is on one thing they can't worry about like Einstein always says I don't worry about shopping or dressing or figuring out if I have enough tobacco for my cigars or cigarettes or pipes Um, he was always like forgetting things he was myopic on one thing and and a lot of the people who are disruptors I notice kind of reside somewhere on the spectrum Now, my contention from that is I think we all reside somewhere on the spectrum, like we're good in one area and terrible in other areas. You know, that's that's where marriage comes in handy. A lot of times is someone else can pick up the slack for us. Um, But going back to what I said earlier, I think these days we are so money focused, we're chasing money that the idea of disruption is a little different than what it used to be the pursuit of disruption like what made someone like um uh henry cavendish who back in the 17 or 1800s was the first person to figure out how to weigh the world he figured out how to weigh the world i don't even know what that concept means but he was so myopic on this idea that this was his whole pursuit and it wasn't about monetary gain and a lot of the earlier disruptors had no idea if something would benefit them financially or not i mean we know tesla died broke uh we know a few other examples of people who just didn't make um millions of dollars off of their idea or concept or other people came in later and took their idea like mcdonald's ray Kroc took their invention and made it a billion dollar. Exactly. Exactly. Well, go ahead. I I think that's an interesting attribute. When you look at the people that you cite in your book, Craig, uh, the vast majority of them are a little bit crazy Mm -hmm. and a lot bit focused. I mean, and I don't mean a little bit focused. I mean, obsessive, obsessive there that, okay. That may not be a strong enough word yet, but I'm sure if we keep going, we'll find the word for it. Possessive. But you know, it, it was interesting that Bill Gates was once said that, you know, he looked around one day and realized that, you know, he had a lot of money, but that was never his goal. 
never his goal. That yeah. was never his goal. And uh, one of the ones that you don't cite in your book, or I didn't see it in, in, in there, is is uh, Walt Disney, who, you know, had to say to his brother, you know, money is just so that I can do more cool things. Yeah, well, there, I mean, there are the a lot of, of money. them. Yeah, there are a lot of them like that. And I do have a blog where I have um, mentioned people like... Um, uh, Walt Disney and um, Milton Hershey. He was yeah. another one who didn't know if financially he he failed four times with his candy businesses, uh, but he just knew he this is what he wanted to pursue and everything else be damned. So I think it's interesting when you start look at this tall poppy concept and your disruptor concept i mean first off there's a lot of similarities obviously Mm -hmm. but it isn't until they start to get some degree of traction that they attract sharks to the water and and i think that that is just a a part of the process they go through and And the sharks you have to watch out for because like if you watch the jelly belly documentary you know the guy who invented the jelly belly got taken advantage of by these business people it's a sad story where he was basically poor, the guy who invented the jelly belly, they stole the idea, basically took everything from him, but he was not economically bright enough to know that what was happening to him. But sorry, Bob, I just want to. Well, no, no, you you make a good point there, Brian, is that he was probably so focused on making candy and how important that was to him that the money just just happens when it happens and it's just random as to who's a billionaire and who's poor yeah i i i I, the money is not a focus i think it's a byproduct Hmm. as far as like pursuing their idea or their concept if money becomes the focus two things happen so two things can get in the way of disruption and it's very simple. One is ego. You cannot create or conceive or invent when your ego's in the way, because there's a lot of pressure there. There's a lot of, you're putting yourself on the mantelpiece to perform, to, to come up with something. So uh, ego's a big part of not being able to disrupt. And then the other one is money. When you're pursuing money, there's a gauntlet of pressure on you to you your your windows shortened you have a finite amount of time to produce or else plus you have something to to lose right now you're that you're at fear of losing something as well yeah yeah so you're risk adverse at that point because now you've made a million dollars you know the funny thing about people who have lots of money is they worry about losing the money all the time right they spend their whole life making all this money and then if you have conversations with them they're always freaking out about their money. Yeah. The, um, the people I worked for when I was a personal assistant, I'd have this conversation with them all the time that what happens if the business fails? What happens if they go under? What hap- One of the people, I can say this now because he passed away, but one of the people I was working for was Brad Gray, who was the head of Paramount Studios. And what happens if he has so many films flop and then the studio removes him. What happens? So yes, so there's always that gauntlet of challenge. But well, when you are disrupting, that's not your mindset. And again, going back to uh, people with Asperger's, their focus is just on this one idea, this one concept. But it's not, can I make this concept sellable? Can I make this a product? Can I turn this into a business? Uh, I did mention in the book, Steve Wozniak. He wanted to give his idea of personal computer away for free, the whole concept to, uh, what was his homebrew club? The homebrew uh, thing. And it was Jobs who saw the business potential. But then Jobs in the beginning wasn't even necessarily a businessman himself. That's why they hired Mike Markula to help them kind of bring this to fruition. But uh, Steve Wozniak was just in a playful, curious, wonderment kind of mood. 
And that's what happened with that. And if you go back to, because you mentioned Bill Gates earlier, Bill Gates earlier on was the same type of myopic vision. He just wanted to figure this out to see if it was possible. It wasn't until later that they decided this is a concept that we could take and repurpose and sell to others. What's interesting in the examples that you give, because if you think about Steve Jobs, he was highly successful in the start of Apple, and he was removed from Apple when Apple became a corporation and became money-focused. And now all of a sudden, the disruptor is a burr under the saddle. And so it's it's interesting when you when you look at this concept of disruption, Steve Jobs didn't change. The environment that he was living in changed. Yes. And he had to go out and find something else to do that would allow him to do what he did. Well, and in disruption in the financial markets, like go to New York City, right? Financial Mm -hmm. capital of the world. I'll bet you there's not a lot of disruption going on because you're talking about the risk that goes with millions of dollars. The first disruption we've seen, and I'm working with a new author, is Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, right? In the financial world, that concept and the people who are pushing that are disruptors. And I didn't get a chance to invite um, Brian DeMint to this call, but I will definitely be sending him a, this recording. But the that's the first major disruption, at least in my view, of the financial world, right? So it, it could have been. I actually read, I forget the guy's name, the Japanese guy who wrote the white paper on Bitcoin. Satoshi. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. Um, I, I read his paper, and initially, if you think about it, what Bitcoin was supposed to be was the same principle as they had on Star Trek. Now, Star Trek, at the time of Star Trek, the whole idea of you know being connected with other worlds and, and uh, having this whole uh, just connection where we all got along uh it was it was only because they took the monetary equation a monetary idea out of the equation and so bitcoin was initially supposed to disrupt how our pursuit of money was based our philosophy our ideas what was behind it the the constraints of it. It was supposed to change the game. However, the rational thinkers were looking for a profit. So people like the um, Facebook oh, brothers, are, right? The yeah, the the vi. What are they called? The via. <laughs> they said a funny name in in the social uh, network movie. Um, I forget their names. What were their names? The two brothers. Finkelberg. Anyway, what's that? Finkelberg, something, something like Winkle, that. Winklevi, Winklevoss, something. Yeah, yeah. Right. thank you. Um, they invested huge amounts of money uh, initially into Bitcoin, and that changed the idea of Bitcoin. All of a sudden, it became just like any other um, scarcity item on the stock exchange. It became something that we pursued for profit, not for idea. That's very, really a disruption. Yeah, that's very interesting because those brothers took the same concept as some of these disruptive thinkers were, and they then turned it into similar to the McDonald's, similar to oil, similar to a lot of things that were invented by somebody for a totally different intention, or like you said, that blue sky and the different and they basically monetized it and changed the whole path of of what it is or at least because the satoshi you know he may not have made a penny off nobody really knows um off of bitcoin but you're right the brothers have made billions or trillions off of it Um, so it's very interesting the monetary aspect and i'll have to do a follow-up with you and brian because um he's been studying this cryptocurrency bitcoin world for the last 10 years and you guys would have a very interesting conversation of where where that's going kind of fun yeah yeah well it leads you to kind of an interesting point right like the monetization is a different skill or different um kind of way of thinking than the disruption is right so you're we're drawing a distinction here so i think that's interesting i guess what are your thoughts on that craig 
Yeah, so so to your point, I, I think that if we could get people to, this is my idea personally, but I think if we can get people to think in terms of not having an end game, uh, think tanks used to initially do this. Rand Corporation used to initially do this uh, before it became more of a military concept. But think tanks were basically divergent thinking. It was seeing how many different directions could we go and what can we derive from those, that type of thinking, whereas business is solely focused on funneling down and coming up with a concept to remain competitively, uh, keep their competitive advantage. If we can think in terms now, now let me let me state something else. Some of the car industries, and I think it's GM, and I don't want to misspeak if someone knows this for a fact, but some of the car companies uh, all of a sudden decided to pivot a little bit and stop manufacturing the best product and instead manufacture the best value. They went back to what. Uh, Preston Tucker did, and instead of making the best car to get the best sales, they decided what did the user of the car really need, what was their relationship to the car, and how can we make that uh, transferable from our product to their home life. And, And so GM started to think less in terms about making a competitive product and instead making a product that suited the needs of their consumers. So that's more of a a divergent style of thinking rather than funneling down for the best profit. You know, I I think one of the things we see in the tech industry in in particular Mm -hmm. is that uh, the small companies create disruption and they create breakthroughs and the large businesses are good at consistency and delivery and leveraging things. And so that's why large companies buy small companies because they can't innovate because mm-hmm. it's against policy. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's policy and procedure that prohibits innovation in yes. large businesses. And that's why you see large companies buying up the small ones because they can't own the disruption because the internal fight with the managers and the accountants that are driving, you know, the financial report for the stock market won't allow that kind of disruption. And so uh, Guy Kawasaki did a great example of that in his, in one of his talks where he talked about the ice industry and every time the industry changed from harvesting it to manufacturing it to making it in the home, each one of those disruptions was done by a different company because the old company could, couldn't cannibalize itself. Right. They couldn't get management to cannibalize themselves. So, uh, you know, that's when you look at some of these things and you say, you know, if you've got a disruption in an industry, you need a small business to do that because big business won't do it. Yeah, it's a conflict of interest within that company. It It absolutely is. And and, and the other thing is, to your point, Bob, I think that um, initially companies can do that. Smaller companies can disrupt like that. But eventually, along the way, in order to stay competitive, they need to change that dynamic. I always say, and I take Clayton Christensen's example who coined the phrase uh, disruptive innovation. I think you can't have an innovation before a disruption occurs. But unfortunately, what happens in order for a company to stay viable and competitive, they need to pivot from disruption, what initially was their disruption, to an innovation so they can sustain. Does that make sense? It makes sense. And I think if you take, you know, if you take a disruptor and put them in IBM, they will crush it. <laughs> They'll be crushed it. by IBM. They, the cog. They, they, well, you know, I, IBM is a is a great company. They're great. They're a great manufacturer. They're a great marketing company. They have a lot of great things going for them. 
they can't innovate themselves out of a bathroom. No, they can't. And, and it's because they're run by accountants and they have been for, you know, 40 years. Well, but when they at, bet the company at, on the 360 series, that was a disruption in the market. Well, look at what Xerox Park used to do. Xerox Park's whole philosophy is go create. That was their philosophy. They didn't know what to do with these creations initially, but they were magnificent, like WYSIWYG, GUI systems, their, their computers, their printers, their mouse, like just go well, and, and Google has maintained a culture of innovation, right? Gmail was one of those 20% projects where they give you 20% where they don't want you to do anything related to your job. And they don't do as much of that anymore as they used to. Right. They've become so big, but, but Gmail, one of the things that, you know, we all use was one of those projects that came out of the innovative or sandbox kind of right. uh, environment. So well, we'll continue this conversation a little bit longer, but in the interest of the listeners uh, to the podcast, Craig, can you share a little bit about how they can learn more about you and um, get a copy of the book and anything else that you have to share? Absolutely. So I do have a new blog I've been developing, uh, craigcopeland.blog. So I'll do uh, weekly articles and postings on the blog. If and it's C-O-P-E-L-A-N-D. Correct. Like, like Aaron, not like, no, like Stuart, not like Aaron. <laughs> so the guy from the police, not the composer. <laughs> um, so Craig Copeland up blog, uh, the book is everywhere. It's on Amazon, but it's on other formats as well. Barnes and Noble, all the online formats. Um, and I, my whole idea is to continue to develop the idea and continue to promote it to people in a way that helps them change their own thinking strategies. That's great. And that's a good way to, to end, uh, end it today. Uh, but we'll stay on again for the folks. Uh, I'll, I'll make this a bonus section of the podcast, but we'll officially close it out. If you guys are interested in hearing more uh, podcasts like this. We've got some great speakers. In fact, I mentioned uh, Brian DeMint earlier. He was on an earlier episode of uh, Tech Reads, but be sure to subscribe. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And uh, again, grateful to all of our sponsors, especially softtech.org. So check it out and we will um, look forward to seeing you. Thank you for listening to Tech Reads, sponsored by Softtech. If you enjoyed today's show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. If you have comments, questions, or want to suggest an author for a future episode, visit softtech at softec.org and click on the Tech Reads link.